broadcasting live from the ESPN 690 and Jar Levine Studios. This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 with Brent Martineau and Austin Lane. How much uh, questions you've had about Russell Wilson's future this offseason? How little questions we've had about it? Are you surprised about how much conversation? Well, no, because last year it was out there like twice as much, so this is, you know, <laughs> so, um, no, I'm not surprised. I mean, I, look, at it's the quarterback world right now, you know, they're, they're talking about all of them, and, and uh, you guys are doing everything you can to try to figure it out, you know, and, you know that's what you got to do. So there's a lot of people taking shots, a lot of, a lot of lines in the water right now trying to guess and see what's going to happen. A lot of lines in the water, and, well, if we're on fishing terms... I think the Broncos got a big one, possibly a trophy bass in Russell Wilson. Casey, Drew Locke, starting quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks by the start of the season, or do they go in a different direction? Yeah, they're going to start Drew Locke. You think so? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, you think the Deshaun Watson, the, the Watson sweepstakes are still available, or you think it's going to be the Drew Locke show? Uh, I, think, I think it'll be Drew Locke. I don't yeah. see the Deshaun Watson situation getting any clearer and how are they going to get Sean Watson no that's true you kind of have to have some draft capital in the Seattle Seahawks not so much right now compliments of Jamal Adams and you get the sense like they're in total rebuild mode now right and bringing Deshaun Watson in is like more win now mode but then you hear they might be shipping off Tyler Lockett for the right price you know I mean we'll see what DK Metcalf I think he's going to stay in there Seattle I think they're going to ask way too much for him but Tyler Lockett's an interesting guy any chance you want to see him here in Jacksonville? Tyler Lockett? Yes. Well, you know, I got some frustrations with Tyler Lockett. I know you have some deep, deep frustrations with Tyler Lockett. But, yeah, what the heck? What the heck, right? I, I mean, won't, the I won't, You know, if he plays wide receiver and has caught a football before, I won't hold it against him. Not enough said. And speaking of a guy that's going to be on the market now, Jordan Hicks, um, linebacker out of Arizona, um, is I think the, the Cardinals are going to let him go and save, I believe, it's $6.5 million um, on their salary cap. Keep in mind, Jordan Hicks, a guy who played, I believe, with Doug uh, Peterson in Philadelphia, if I'm not mistaken, and a guy that I think immediately can bring you an upgrade at the middle linebacker position, seeing how, you know, the Jaguars haven't re-signed Damon Wilson yet. I think he's a guy who showed some promise at the end, I think was a consistent piece for the Jaguars towards the end of the season. But if you're asking me, am I taking Damon Wilson or Jordan Hicks, it's Jordan Hicks all day. Um, and I like a guy who's versatile, too. Now, I, I've been on record saying before, it's not about versatility. It's about where a guy can play. Well, I'm not sure what type of defense this is going to be yet. I'm not sure the first pick of the draft is going to be yet. I mean, if it's Aiden Hutchinson, do you go more of a 4-3 defense? If that's the case, then cool. Jordan Hicks can play inside linebacker, no problem. If you go a 3-4 defense, maybe you have Aiden Hutchinson standing up. Maybe he can handle that. Well, Hicks has played a little outside linebacker, has played inside linebacker as well. So I do like the versatility from Hicks' standpoint in terms of we don't know what this defense is going to be yet, but Jordan Hicks is a good football player. So he's going to elevate you regardless of what the defense is going to look like. Do we got Brett Martin back? Yeah, yeah, we do. Uh, I am back. Uh, Bobby Wagner, Jordan Hicks. I mean, you got some names now on the market. With Jags have plenty of money. They could get older. They could get wiser. They could get better, Austin. Uh, you said something that really jumps out at me. When Mike Caldwell got hired as a defensive coordinator, we're like, okay, we got the Todd Bowles kind of look. He's been with him a bit now. What's this going to look like? Uh, we think it's going to kind of have three, four principles, yet he says it's going to cater to the player. Does it surprise you that we don't have a feel yet of what this defense is going to look like? Or, based on what he said, do we really just have to get by free agency in the draft to figure out who they have, and then we can take an educated guess? 
on what this is going to be. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I say this all the time. Uh, a good defensive coordinator, you know, takes the players and makes them fit his defense. A great defensive coordinator, legendary defensive coordinator, will take those players and tailor that defense around those players. Um, I, I think, you know, the defensive coordinator of the Jacksonville Jaguars, he's on the ladder. I think he's going to wait and see how free agency turns out. I think he's going to wait and see how this draft turns out. And he's going to take a long, hard look at exactly the pieces that they have and then make an educated guess going forward of what type of defense is going to fit this Jaguars team the best. Yeah, and I guess to that point, Austin, uh, there's so many people in the balance. There are guys like Hicks and a, and a potential of a Wagner or whoever else uh, from a linebacker standpoint. The Hutchinson-Thibodeau thing you've been saying since day one, if we go all the way back, this is um, November, December, we're talking about these guys. It, it could be scheme-dependent on which one's a better fit. And so uh, i got to believe Caldwell has something in mind, but a lot of that is based on the secrecy of who they think they might draft, get free agency, what their plans are. And, of course, we don't know that. So, uh, and, and we also expect this, right, on the defensive front, uh, defensive side. It's going to be... Uh, a not a one-size-fits-all. Every defense kind of plays a hybrid defense of sorts, mixes it up now, and I would fully expect Caldwell to do the same. Yeah, absolutely. And at the end of the day, I mean, the, the, the first step right now, if you're Caldwell, if you're Doug Peterson, if you're Trimbalke, is getting great football players on this roster. And I think, you know, Bobby Wagner is a great football player. I think getting Bobby Wagner, though, is going to be a little more difficult than, per se, uh, Jordan Hicks. But I think that they're both great football players. And that's what you want right now um, on, on any level of your offense or your defense. So if you have an opportunity to put, you, you know, a great football player on your team, uh, you have the money for it. You know, it's got to be at the right cost. I get that. But if you have the opportunity, I think you try to make that happen. Well, and Austin, I think uh, here's where my mind goes on some of this stuff. It, it, I, I look at some of the mistakes this football team has made in the past, this franchise has made in the past, and I look at the Jags starting over and they got too young. They got rid of some of their old guys, a la Daryl Smith and others that they even had on their, their team that they could have kept. Instead, they said, now nah, we're going to go younger. Uh, and they got too young early on. That goes all the way back to like 13, 14, those days. Then you go to the problem that was addressed like last week at the Combine when we were in Indianapolis, and that is Balky and Peterson acknowledging that they have to keep second contract guys. They have to draft. They have to develop. They have to keep and pay those guys. Well, they kind of just did it with Cam Robinson. We'll see where else they go. Miles Jackson, guy they've done it with in this organization. Uh, but there's not many examples of that, and they need more examples of that. The other thing that I would say is it's crystal clear, and I think everybody will admit this, the roster isn't good enough when you've won four games in two years. So you need blue-chip players. You need Pro Bowl contenders, all pro possibility types of players. Not going to get 53 of them, probably not going to get 10 of them. Can you get a few of them, and maybe even a few of them on each side of the ball that will contend like that each and every year and that have done it? Uh, and then the last part is, do you need some wisdom in that locker room? Could you get a little more experience? I've always had this belief, Austin, you played in the league, but I had this belief that if you have enough of those guys that know how to win and know what the league is like, when things go bad, you can weather the storm. And so you can find a way to six wins, seven wins, maybe it's eight wins, even if you're not great, or even if things start to go sour, injuries or other reasons. This team and this franchise has not been able to do that. I mean, stuck on one win and three wins and two win seasons. And, I mean, getting to six, seven, eight, nine wins has been very difficult. And a lot of teams are capable of doing that even when they're not very good. And so I look at this period right now. And going off what Balky and Peterson say, second contract guys, okay, who can they keep? Will they keep? Will they extend Josh Allen? But who are they going to go get that's good for the locker room but also 
good players, like blue-chip caliber players. Well, the Wagners of the world, the Amari Coopers of the world, uh, maybe it is a Hicks of the world. Are those guys contenders to fill those buckets for the Jacksonville Jaguars? I would say yes, and in a year that you have money, and hopefully you're going to spend it, I think it would be a valuable addition, not only to the roster, but to the locker room. Yeah, I understand, you know, the philosophy of you have to retain your players. I absolutely agree with that. But like you mentioned, I mean, the problem with this team the past couple of years is they haven't won a lot of games, right? You, you've won uh, three games this past year, and then two years ago you won one game. So, like, the, the players that you're trying to keep, there's not a lot of them. You know, it would be different if you're going to the playoffs and you're going to the Super Bowl. Then, yeah, you want to try to retain as many of those players as possible because they're a part of making that thing go. When you have limited and limited limited amount of success because, you know, of the personnel, and there's only a few guys you can really pick from then, right? Like Cam Robinson, okay, he could be one of those guys. You would hope that Josh Allen is going to be one of those guys. You know, Miles Jack, you know, time will tell. But it's not like they have a laundry list of guys that they got to keep and say, hey, I mean, we got to keep this guy just because, you know, it means a lot to the team. Now, you do have to have those bridge guys. We've talked about that before with the Clayus Campbell and Mercedes Lewis, Daryl Smith come to mind as guys that, you know, you might have should have probably kept on a little longer just because they meant so much to the team. But if you're Doug Peterson right now and you're coming in, like you're not really tied to any of these guys on the roster. You're, you're tied to the guys who are going to help you win football games. And, and there's a few guys in that locker room, but there's not enough of those guys in the locker room. So I get, yeah, re- re- resign those, those top talented guys like a Josh Allen. By all means, please do that. But you also got to focus on who can we bring in with experience, number one. But number two is going to have the talent, um, you know, to take this team to a new level. Because that's what happens when you bring in talented guys with experience. Number one, it helps your team, obviously, in terms of the on-the-field play. But it, it's also contagious in terms of guys gravitating around that. Once you find out how to play at a high level and you can learn from that guy, that immediately helps your team win more football games. And that's got to be the main focus right now in free agency. Yeah, and I guess the way I would say it, because I don't like using the term, like, good for the locker room, guys, because to be honest with you, Austin, I thought that locker room was pretty darn good last year. Uh, but I I hate the, um, you know, maybe in our business when we ask, hey, do you got to learn how to win? You know, you close games, you got to learn how to win. It's like, oh, wait a minute. Now it's professional sports. Like, you should know how to win. You know, this isn't like a learning how to win. That's something like uh, high school teams do and college teams do in my mind. Like I understand the concept of that, especially when you're young. But you can fill that void with guys that do know how to win. Like they have won. When the Jaguars were successful, they bring in a guy like Calais Campbell, Malik Jackson. Those guys knew how to win. And, yeah, they won pretty big, but they – you don't have to know how to win big all the time. Just know how to win football games in the NFL. Know how to get the job done. Know how to take care of your body. Know how to do this and that and, and what, what makes a difference. So then you can spread that to the younger guys instead of just letting those younger guys learn how to win based off playing in their third year in the NFL. And so I don't think that part is an easy formula. But I do look at a guy like Bobby Wagner or something like that, and this is just an example. I'm not really like all in on advocating for Wagner. But he fills a lot of those boxes for me. He is a, a, a blue-chip caliber player as, what, a top-five linebacker in the NFL. And he knows how to win. They knew how to win in Seattle. They've been around it. They know what it takes. And so those guys, to me, would be very valuable. I don't know if Amari Cooper fills both buckets to me like that, but Amari Cooper is a blue-chip guy, potentially, and that's important, too. And they won a little bit in Dallas, not a lot of it. So I just think that... 
I think the Jags really have to look at that in this cycle where they're spending money, that they could check both those boxes, and those are important boxes, to just get this team back to relevance now. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. You know, I, I just think in terms of the most important thing what I'm looking for, I'm looking for the skill on the field. Like, yeah, sure. having to, like, knowing how to win goes hand-in-hand hand with skill on the field. But I watched this team bring in Nick Foles, who won a Super Bowl, and you think, okay, well, he's been there, he knows what it takes, and it didn't work out. And, you know, I mean, there's been a couple guys. I mean, you can say Aaron Ross and get people, you say that name around here, and and people kind of turn their eyes at that a little bit. But he was another guy who was really brought in because, well, he won a Super Bowl, and he knew knew what it took to get there. Unfortunately, it it, it wasn't a good fit here in Jacksonville. He said what he said, and um, I think fans are still probably better about the whole Aaron Ross signing. So, to me, it's all about the talent on the field. You know, Bobby Wagner would be respected in that locker room because he's one of the best linebackers in the league. You know, I think Jordan Hicks would be respected in the locker room because he's a hell of a linebacker in his own right. And that's what you want right now more than anything. You just want more talented guys that are going to make, you know, the guys around them play better. Because when you, when you elevate the talent around you with your own talent, then you have something special. It's just I, I look at this team right now, and, yeah, the, the, there's a talented guy here or there, but there's not enough. And if you don't have enough, then it's hard to elevate the guys around you. And that's exactly what you're going through right now. Like, if you go on any single roster, if you go on the Rams roster, you go on the Kansas City Chiefs roster, the Bengals roster, yeah, they have great players. But there's also some players that start that are like, well, you know, they're kind of fringe guys. They're probably not going to be there next year. Um, you know, a rookie could probably start over them next year. But the difference is that they have the great guys around them that help elevate their play. The Jaguars do not have that right now. I think the Jaguars should do – I'm going to go run out and grab uh, Bubba Watson. He's hitting some drives in front of the kids. So I want to grab a little video of that. But I'm going to leave you with this uh, for the remainder of this segment, and you can take it home uh, from here. I think the Jag. If I look at the Jags over this next week, man, I feel like they could make three moves of significance. I, I don't want to go crazy and be like, oh, they're going to get six new guys and all this stuff. I, I don't want to, in a realistic fashion, I think they could add a defender of some sort. I don't know if that's a Hicks or a Wagner or Chandler Jones. I, I, I don't have strong conviction on which one, but I think they need to add a defender of significance. I also think. They need to really go all in on a weapon, and that might be Amari Cooper, uh, in, in my estimation. And I also think they should do, take care of uh, another bucket that they've talked about, and I would seriously ex- look into trying to at least start or get a deal done with Josh Allen. I think it would say a lot for the culture they're trying to build. I think you could even save a few bucks on a guy that's expected to be good. And if you the draft works out or free agency works out, you're going to put somebody next uh, on the other side of him. And so those are my three things. I'm going to say Amari Cooper, extend Josh Allen, and then find me someone of significance on the defensive side, whether it's defensive tackle, whether it's a pass rusher, whether it's a linebacker in this instance. Um, I think that's by the end of next week, I'd like to see that happen. What would you like to see happen? No, that's exactly I mean, Amari Cooper has to be priority number one over everything. It's a weapon for Trevor Lawrence. It helps out your offense. He's got to be the top priority right now. And you have the money to get him. It's just about pushing those right buttons, right? Because we'll see what, what the priorities right now are for Amari Cooper. You know, this is a guy who's made some money in his career. I'm sure a Super Bowl is important, but I, I still think, like, money could be the motive for him, right? I think playing with a great quarterback could be the motive for him. Now, I get it. Trevor Lawrence may didn't show that necessarily his rookie year, 
But we're still very confident that Trevor Lawrence is going to be a special player in this league. And I think Amari Cooper would know that too. So I think Amari Cooper's got to be, first and foremost, the most important part right now of bringing somebody in to help your quarterback. Doug Peterson being the offensive-minded guy that he is. I mean, it just it makes too much sense. Then I think from there, like I was talking about before, you get good football players. You get great football players. Whether that looks like Chandler Jones, whether that looks like Jordan Hicks, whether that looks like Bobby Wagner, as long as there's great football players coming into this team, that's all I'm asking for. You know, and, and that's what you need to have. I mean, let's go back to last year and that last year's free agent class. Now, you got Chad Griffin, and we were excited for that. And you know what? Overall, it, it was an okay signing. I'm not mad at that one. You know, Rayshon Jenkins, I think we were intrigued by a little bit. Um, you know, Malcolm Brown offered his little thing. But, like, there wasn't a lot of names of last year's free agent class where we're like, oh, wow, well, we immediately just, you know, it, it's, it's unbelievable how much better we got. You know, I mean, Chris Mannards, okay. But you saw the stats, and it was like, well, is Chris Mannard's really going to elevate this team to new levels in terms of a tight end? He had the first touchdown of the season, and then he was kind of forgotten of, right? And then that's where Dan Arnold, Dan Arnold comes in, and all of a sudden it's a Dan Arnold show. So, like, I look at last year, and, yeah, there was a couple rumblings here and there for this team, but there wasn't a lot of names that made you go, wow, the, the Jaguars got one there. It was like, okay, I, I've heard of this guy. Let me do some research on him and let me see. And then you check the stats. There's no checking stats on guys like Bobby Wagner. There's no checking stats on guys like Amari Cooper. You know if you get those guys on this team, you immediately upgraded yourselves. No ands, ifs, buts about it. Yeah, it costs money. You have money to spend. And I think, you know, for a first season for Doug Peterson, I think he, he wants weapons to succeed right away. You know, like, I get it. This is a rebuilding process, and we always say this. But look at what the Cincinnati Bengals did. You know, they, they go from a team that had a coach that was on the hot seat that had a, a quarterback who, you know, coming off a catastrophic injury, and they turned things around with a couple free agent signings and a hell of a draft. Not comparing the Jaguars to the, the Bengals because it's not even close right now. You still have a long ways to go, but it goes to show you you can turn things around a lot fast, faster than you think. More on ESPN 690 we get back. actually emailed me a while back and I didn't believe it was him so we we exchanged a couple of emails and and then you know concocted the plan and you know he, he's he's a huge Clay Thompson fan and he you know he knows how much Clay loves dressing up as Jackie Moon and so it was just kind of a natural fit and it felt like a good time to do it just to make everybody laugh in a in a tough stretch of the season <laughs> Steve Kerr. Oh, yeah. Did I miss that whole moment? Because I must have. I yeah. must have missed it. Jackie Moon made an appearance last night for the uh, Golden State Warriors uh, shoot-around. It was pretty funny. <laughs> um, good stuff. Uh, the Casey, are you big maybe... Will Ferrell guy? Uh, yeah. I'm trying to think of that as like a general, because like you're a little younger than I am, but you're into Will Ferrell and like your stepbrothers and all that good stuff. Oh, yeah, stepbrothers, okay. self, cool. everything must go. I like it. Even every, wow, what a deep cut there. Thought Everything like that. must go. Thought you'd appreciate that. Wow. That's a deep cut, Brent. Yeah. I always, uh, this is typical me. It's not that I don't, like, um, enjoy Will Ferrell. It's not, but I also was not on, like, Hater? the cultural phenomenon bus mm -hmm. of Will Ferrell. Okay. You know, so a little, like, in my, um, 
uh, my time, mm-hmm. my time, mm-hmm. college days. Mm-hmm. When did Will Ferrell, do you think, really hit steam? Like, I was in college from 95 to 99. Okay. So, what would you say, like, maybe, like, to 2005-ish? Oh, no. I mean, he he had seen, in my opinion, like, uh, Saturday Night Live and, like, Night at the Roxbury and stuff, he was still kind of known. Well, I'm not saying known, but I meant kind of like the Anchorman. And when did, like, when was Anchorman? 2004. 2004. I mean, that was pretty close. I think, like, but, yeah, the the, the more cowbell sketch, I think, put him on the map a little bit. Yeah, probably did. Yeah. Um... But I, I will say this, like, I've never even, I mean, I've just never been a huge Saturday Night Live guy, so to mm-hmm. me it would have to hit in the movies more so. Okay. Um, but I know it started there, yeah. Saturday Night Live. Um, so I was just trying to think of, like, the from a generational standpoint, or maybe it's every five or ten years, or, like, who's after Will Ferrell? Like, who's that now? Like, uh, That's a good question. Who's Will Ferrell now? I think Danny McBride's up there. Um because like the the royal um, what is it the royal gemstones um, is a big one. I don't know, I saw the what is it the royal gem whatever that show is called. I just watched it too. Um, but I think like guys like like the Seth Rogen kind of group kind of took over for Will Ferrell okay. a little bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. But like I, I, so. I don't know, like comedy has definitely changed though. Like I don't know if there's like really a standout like there was with Will Ferrell. You know, or like I think Jim Carrey. Um, was even like before Will Ferrell was. I just Jim Carrey was. Yeah, I mean like Jim Carrey was in Adam the same, Sandler like, was up there. Yeah. See, I grew up. Well, I guess I would say that in my kind of heyday of growing up, I guess of influential, like funny. <laughs> yeah. If you will, it would have been Sandler. It would have been um, who did you just mention? Uh, who did you just say? Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Jim Carrey. Yeah. Um, and for me, actually, I just, like, my college movie was uh, Tommy Boy, so sure. it was Chris Farley. Chris Farley, for sure. And even yep. David Spade, to a degree. Yeah. Um, so, like, I just wonder where that fits with other people. But Will Ferrell just never did as much for me. Maybe it's because I liked Farley so much. I don't know. True. Like, I didn't. Or, or maybe it was just that part of my life where then I started having kids and stuff and didn't pay attention to it. I don't know. For sure. Um, yeah. For, for me, like, uh, as an actor, it was old school for me that really, like, turned me on to Will Ferrell. Um, aside from SNL, because I mean, I, I watched old school. I remember, I think I was a senior or junior in high school, and then we'd have like training camp in the summer. So I would go to training camp, come home for like a couple hours, have a break, then I have to go back for two days. And I remember like literally the entire training camp, which was probably 20, 25 something days, um, I watched uh, old school every single day. Didn't even nap, just watched old school because I was so infatuated with it. <laughs> well, it's classic we would have had, we would have had, it is a classic mm-hmm. movie. Um, and by the way, we, we would have had like uh, Will Ferrell or any of those comedians that you mentioned had, uh, could have had an unbelievable moment at the Players' Championship today. Oh, yeah. Um, because at CBC Sawgrass around 11 o'clock this morning, I saw something I've never seen before. Okay. And that was a man walking alone by the 18th tee on the cart path and just projected, projectile vomited. Mm-hmm. And kept going. Like Yeah, man, puke and rally. I, I it was absolutely puke and rally. Yeah. It, it was amazing. It was You never seen anybody throw up before? And rally? I have, but this guy it was eleven in the morning on a Wednesday at TPC Sawgrass, which in my estimation was a little early. Yeah. Now Friday I could see, but Wednesday don't see it very often. Sure, sure. This was splat and kept and had drink in hand still. Mm-hmm. And it was almost like 
that was that guy, right, that's still walking. Like, no stoppage at all. So then for the, the people that were that I was around, part of the Action Sports Shacks team, be unnamed, um, he, we just were watching people dodge the splat on the cement for the next, like, 20 minutes. Nice. So the play-by-play of that could have been terrific. In fact, we almost talked about moving up into the um, hospitality tent okay. and just videoing everybody walking by and trying to avoid and, and doing the play-by-play from there. I like because that. you know how it would go, like, right when they were about to step in it, they would sidestep it. Or oh, no, for sure. They'd step it. Yeah. At yeah. first, like, people didn't know what had happened. They were like, what just transpired there? It was live, man. Yeah, have I ever seen somebody throw up? Yes. Have I seen somebody walking, like, just... You know, like everybody else, like hundreds and thousands of people do at the Players' Championship toward the uh, clubhouse and projectile vomit and then keep going? No, I hadn't seen it before in 14 years. Oh, man, you got to tailgate more, man. Yeah, get some well, tailgate. I tailgate. I cover the game. No, sure. for sure. I'll never forget Um, when I was – I don't have to tell this story before. When I was a recruit for the Wisconsin Badgers – um, and this would have been my senior year. They were playing Iowa at the time. So it was like a huge game. I think Iowa was ranked pretty high, whatever. But, uh, like, where they sat us, they sat us, like, next to the student section. Because, you know, they wanted to give you, like, a feel for, like, the entire, uh, you know, Wisconsin ambiance, if you will. And a big part of that is their student section. So I was literally, like, right in the middle uh, of the student section. And it was an early, I mean, it, was a, it would have been a, a noon game. Well, it would have been 11 there, you know what I'm saying? Because, like, the, the timing's different. So... Yeah, it would have been an 11 o'clock game there. And by the first kickoff, which was probably like 11-15, um, some woman puked all over me on my back. And I turned to the, like, the, like the recruiting coordinator. I'm like, hey, man, what the hell? And he goes, this is, wait, you said you wanted the Wisconsin experience. There you go. And, and this poor girl, I mean, ended up passing out. But thankfully, they had, like, another shirt for me on standby. Um, don't want to snitch too much because that might have been, like, against, like, you know, yeah, rules, whatever now. But uh, Jump yeah, around. that's fine, man. The sexual <laughs> limitations now. But, yeah, girl, like, homegirl was literally passed out by, like, the, the opening kickoff uh, with puke down my back. So shout out to her. Yeah. It was, I, I don't think anybody got hit. The moment was clear. It could have been really bad for somebody coming the other direction. Yeah. It was just like, it was like, we. I think everybody, there were three of us there at the time. I was like, did that just happen? <laughs> and I think, like, the people across the way, I mean, there's, like, a mom and a dad and, like, their kids in a stroller, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, just enjoying the day in the morning. It's a nice day at the players. And then everybody's watching, like, Colin Morikawa putt and practice on the 18th green. And boom, just... Love wow, it. did that really happen? And then again, I, I think the most interesting part, the fun part of that was watching everybody avoid it or not avoid it. Sure. It was like... Uh, it, I hadn't seen it before. And, by the way, if you're going to see that, you usually think you're going to see it around 16 or 17. True. Not walking toward the clubhouse at 18. But whoever it was, I give them props because they really didn't They didn't budge. They didn't look back. They didn't, you know, keel over. They didn't ask for water. They did everything except for take another drink. No, nah, man, I mean... Of whatever they had in their hand. I don't even know what it was, really. I, I love it. I mean, if, if Billy Bob from Varsity Blues taught us anything, when you're calling dinosaurs, you do what you got to do, you puke and rally, you get back out there. So um, I appreciate the effort on a Wednesday, nonetheless. Yeah, it was good stuff, uh, I think. A um, little video on the Twitter, by the way, if you really want to see it. Um, at least the people avoiding it. NBA fans, are they the worst? 
What a transition, bro. What a fantastic <laughs> one. Well, well, how the hell was I going to transition out someone puking? I don't know. I was, I would like have a notepad out ready for like journalism 101, how to transition out of puke. And I just, are NBA fans the worst? Speaking well, of something, well, speaking of something speaking that's going to leave you sick. Well, speaking of something that's, that can leave you sick, NBA fans, well, why are they the worst? I, I miss something. Well, they don't throw up on the ground in the middle of a crowd. I miss something. Why are they the worst? Well, you see the Russell Westbrook stuff. How the Lakers want to get rid of him? No, no. He's, About uh, his name? Uh, oh, yeah, you didn't see, like, West Brick and how he stopped with the fans, um, oh. you know, and was talking to the fans. And, well, and, and by the way, there's a part of me that says, come on, Westbrook, it's part of the territory, right? You're playing awful right now, and now you got rabbit ears about it and probably can't avoid hearing it. But he says he doesn't bring his kids to the games because of it. Um, and listen, fans can, can go over the top sometimes. But as I was thinking about it more, Mike, well, I feel like more fans get ejected from NBA games than like anywhere else. And that's probably not true because in numbers, there's more football fans like at a game. Sure. But we kind of see the NBA fans. It's almost like, you know, when they're getting escorted. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, we've had run-ins with players and fans, I think more in the NBA than I can remember anywhere else. Not to say that's a true stat, but I feel like at least it's the most publicized ones. And then you can go all the way back to... Malice in the palace, if you really want to. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just got me thinking today. It's like football fans are, are away from the action enough. You know, they got helmets on. It's loud. Um, baseball guys get heckled, like if you're in the bullpen mostly. Other than that, baseball fans aren't super close to the field. Maybe you can get a bunch of people going uh, at like an outfielder. But even then, you're not like right there with an air shot. I think the, friend, the close confines of basketball allow for more of that to be heard and therefore player to be irritated by whatever fan says. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, uh, I mean, we, we've seen players have stuff thrown at them, which is not cool by NBA fans. Just because the sport is so much more personable, right? You're, you, can get, you can literally sit courtside um, and reach out and touch a player if you want it. You can't really do that um, in baseball. You can't do that in hockey. You can't do that in football. So it's it's the most personal sport in terms of the viewing experience. And, and in turn, you know, when when stakes get high, yes, some fans just don't know how to act. You know, and sometimes there's alcohol involved too, and that's not a good combination. So I do agree with you. I think in terms of, like, what players probably have to go through it the most, I would definitely say NBA players. But, like, to me, that's what also makes the sport so great. You know, is the fact that you have those interactions. I mean, Spike Lee and Reggie Miller was was his own documentary because Spike Lee was right next to Reggie Miller, you know, and going back and forth. Like, I think there is something to be said for, you know, the gift of trash talk to an extent. Now, you don't want everyone to put your hands on a player. You don't want to ever throw anything on a player. You don't want to, you know, talk about a player's mom, anything like that. But this is the, you know, this is the NBA, and and trash talk takes part on the court, and I think you're allowed to trash talk also in the stands. So as long as fans get it within themselves that you can't throw anything at players, you can't touch players, you can't cross that line. I mean, I I embrace it, I celebrate it. Yeah. Um, no, Russell Westbrook doesn't. <laughs> yeah, and I'm yeah, not sure. By the it. way, saying Russell Westbrook is really that bad. No, not at all. Now, I'm sure they've said worse. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Um, so anyway, I thought it was just an interesting deal with Westbrook, how he got so annoyed by that and then kind of brought it up even in the post game. Of well, course, that's just he's going through a lot right now. He, well, I, mean, I when, think a lot of it is that. That's what. Well, that's the differenti- differentiation, right? That's more frustrated player right now, probably reacting to a lot of different things. Or is it really NBA fans? Because again, it was just last year, I think, Austin, that we might have had this conversation about NBA fans. Did they go over the top? There were a couple of incidents, I think. I think it was last season um, that that had happened. So yeah, I don't know how they can rein it in. Yeah, I mean, I think Russell Westbrook, regardless, is definitely he plays with a lot of emotion, and you know that's why he's had so much success, I believe, in his career. Um, you know, having that MVP run that one year at the triple double, averaging it, just because you do play so aggressively, you do play with emotion. But I mean, I, I'm not gonna blame him for for being frustrated right now or even lashing out. Like, I don't think it has anything to do with the fans. I think it's just the fact that he found out that the, <laughs> the team that he plays on doesn't even want him, and they try to ship him, and nobody wanted him either. Um, that's kind of a tough pill to swallow, you know, because you kind of took a gamble going to L.A., and then you come to find out that the team didn't even want you, and they try to ship you off someplace else, and they couldn't, and now you got to play for that team. So that's always an awkward scenario. Yeah, uh, that is true. Uh, we are live at uh, the Tesori Family Foundation All-Star Clinic. Uh, Bubba Watson just hit some cool shots for the kids. Uh, Mark Leishman here as well. Uh, so uh, Tesori Family Foundation and friends. Uh, here at the yards. And by the way, the sun popped the perfect time for the kids that are now out there golfing, taking some shots as well. Fantastic event here at the yards, about a mile away from TPC Sawgrass. Uh, the Players' Championship gets underway tomorrow. We still have our picks to come here on the show. And if you think of ambassadors for sports, Twitter's Tiger Woods rank. And who others do we think of in the world of sports? We'll talk about it when we come back. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Certainly, Green Bay will field trade offers, but I just don't know that they're going to get trade pick value or even player value. What you would want to get for a first-round quarterback that you drafted, and also like Aaron Rodgers is one snap away from being injured, and you know you've got a guy who's been in the system and you were planning on building the future around when Aaron Rodgers left or retired. So I don't know that that move is going to happen. And I know everyone's just killing Green Bay for drafting him and then now resigning Aaron Rodgers. Cut it out. This is good business. What they did. That's my guy, Todd McShay, I think. Yep. Good business? I mean, it's good business to keep Aaron Rodgers. I'm not sure it's good business to miss on a first-round pick in Jordan Love. Horrible business. Yeah. I. W- should Indianapolis, by the way, who traded Carson Wentz today, be interested in Jordan Love at all? Uh, I mean, you, you trade... Uh... I mean, I guess a proven guy for definitely an unproven guy. I, I don't know if I can go along with that. You're, uh, you can't get Deshaun Watson. You get Jimmy Garoppolo or Jameis Winston or Jordan Love. I would get probably Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah. Because, I mean, you, you, you have the, the, like, the run game's there. Right, so yeah, you essentially, <laughs> so you, you essentially need a quarterback that's not going to turn the ball over, um, that's going to play a safe brand of football, and every once in a while is going to give you the big play when you need it. I think Jimmy Garoppolo is more than capable of doing that. Yeah, um, I think you're right there. By the way, I think I would. I think there's less risk in Jimmy, lower ceiling, 
but less risk, and a guy who's proven he can do enough to get you there. Yep. So where you want to go? Brett Martineau uh, here at the Yards at the uh, Tesori Family Foundation All-Star Clinic. Uh, Bubba Watson stopped by the show earlier along with Paul Tesori, caddy for Webb Simpson. Oh, they're going to have it tough at the Players' Championship this weekend. The weather is going to be wild. It's already been very windy out there. Even these last couple of days have been nice. Uh, for the most part, until this afternoon when lightning came in around 2 o'clock. And then at 4 o'clock, let's spend another bout of weather over there uh, because they closed the course for the rest of the day to the public. So uh, it's going to be a wild ride over the next few days when it comes to uh, the weather and the golf. It could get, uh, we could see some wild stuff. Do you like, did you hear what I said to Paul earlier, uh, Austin and Casey? And Casey, I know you follow golf a lot. I said, I asked Paul this you get the feeling that golf fans like when the pro golfers kind of mess up or it's really hard for them and they have to navigate tough, tough conditions. I think that's part of the reason we like the U.S. Open. It's in the Open Championship when it blows like crazy over there. I think we kind of like that. We, we like to see the struggle a bit. And I think there's also an appreciation for how good they are because they're able to compete and play in those conditions. But would you rather see that than a guy shoot 20 under par? Um, yeah, I, I would definitely rather see the struggle as opposed to just, you know, playing a quote-unquote easier course, I think. Um, just because I think it separates who the good golfers are then or, or not. You know, I mean, and I'm not an expert by any means, but there is some line of luck in terms of the sport of golf. Um, so, like, the, the best players necessarily don't always win those tournaments. But I think when you make a, a very difficult course and you make a course that is going to, you know, test your mental aptitude, if you will, well, then it kind of separates of who the good guys are and who just, you know, are the okay guys. So I'd rather see a much tougher course than a course where everyone's shooting minus 20. Casey? Yeah, I agree. I, it, it does nothing for me to watch a birdie fest because I know these guys are the best in the world. So I like it when it's more challenging. That's why when it comes to the FedEx Cup playoffs, what's kind of annoying is the first event is the Northern Trust, which they move courses but is consistently a 25 to 30 under par event, which doesn't really tell you much. And then they go to the BMW Championship, which again moves around, but is consistently a 2 to 3 under even an over par course. So that's I think they need to change that about the FedEx Cup, like the courses they play. But to answer your question, yeah, the birdie fest for me just – I usually just turn it off and follow it on by my the, phone. By the way, I do think, I agree, I think that's what most people would say, and I, but I do think the PGA Tour does a good job of having courses that really showcase these guys' ability. When you do get the 24 under or even a 28 under or something crazy like that, it's like, man, they can eat up a course. <laughs> that's how good they are. Um, and then they showcase an in-between sometimes. And the players, by the way, often has been an in-between. You can make birdies on that back nine now. You can go low. You can have some fantastic scoring. You can finish at 13, 14, 15 under par. Masters is like that as well. But it also can be really tough. And then you have your really, really tough, usually U.S. Open course, where a lot of the golfers, I think, and people around the sport would say they trick up the course uh, a little bit. So... Um, I think that's the fine line for the golfers. Are you tricking up the course, or is it just hard? I think this week's just going to be hard uh, for these players. Tiger Woods goes into the Hall of Fame. Uh, we talk all about the impact. Uh, great ambassador. We're going to go to a break. When we come back, is, is Tiger Woods, has he been a great ambassador for the sport? We know he's made a major impact, maybe more than anyone else. Is Rory McIlroy that guy today? And when we think of football and basketball and baseball, who is that guy uh, in those sports? Or do they not even need him? 
We'll talk about that, plus a little football at five, and our players' championship picks. I have this question in football at five. Are the Indianapolis Colts overrated as an organization? I'll give you some evidence that might say yes. We'll be back. Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690.